2 Timothy is the last letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. What we know about this, what we, what we understand is that Paul, the, the last time he was in prison, he must have went through a considerable, considerable amount of uh, anguish and pain and torment. It was, it was a hard time for him. Of course, he was getting older. He'd been uh, stoned a few times. He'd been thrown out. He'd been beaten. He'd been shipwrecked. All these things had happened to him. And here he comes, and uh, he's writing to Timothy. Timothy to Paul was this son. It wasn't his his son, but he was a spiritual son, someone he had put his heart, his soul, his mind, his his passion, his desire, his energy into. And I don't know uh, if you today have somebody like that in your life that you're feeding into spiritually, but I think that this that the the story of Paul and Timothy and the relationship that Paul and Timothy have that we as Christians should find a relationship like that. Uh, for for our own lives. Now, some of us parents, that Timothy is your is your child. That's somebody that you need to spend a lot of time with and spiritually guide and, and direct them and grow them up. Others, uh, uh, we have teachers here at Unlimited Church in our discipleship classes on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday night, our unlimited groups on Wednesday nights. And those teachers, you can be that to that to that child. You can be that to that young person. Uh, you can be be that even if you're adults. You can some, you can be that to a person who is young in the Lord, and they don't have to be 20 years younger than you have to, you you are. They could be a little bit older than you even, but in the Lord, they're if they're not um, mature, they need somebody to walk beside them. If we all took this approach, and I've talked to you about this a few times and told this, if we all took the approach right, the one-on-one approach. And then the multiplication from that where one teaches one, and when that one gets taught, then you break off and you begin to teach someone else, and that person begins to teach and mentor someone else. Before you know it, we would have disciples all across the United States and all across the world. The problem that we have, though, is that we don't want to take the time to do that. And, and the discipleship today, discipleship is a word that we don't even probably use or hear a lot of because we don't think of that one-on-one and how we can sit down and open the Scriptures up and we can sit and pray with somebody and we can, we can, we can go over the Scriptures together with them and help them learn and understand more about what God is, who He is, what He's about, what He wants in our lives so it's, it's something that we should look at. Paul and Timothy is a great example of how that should be. So let's just start off, and we'll read the, the first few verses here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this. Paul does this all the time, but I think of this. When we, when we are talking to somebody, the first thing that we should be thinking about is we hope that grace, peace, and mercy from God is on your life. If we would think about that every time, did you know that if you go over into Jerusalem, you know, we hear the word shalom used, shalom, shalom. And shalom is a greeting. It's a greeting. It's, it, it, it means peace. It want, shalom. We want you to have peace. But do you know that the Jews, they use it greeting and when they leave each other. They use it both times. They want you to have peace when you're coming and peace when you're going. All right, and I think we should take that approach with with people that we're around. And, and as we dig later into this series, we're going to see that the Lord, uh, through Paul, tells us that we should be doing some of these things. But He says to Timothy, "Hey, I want you to have peace. I want you to have mercy and grace from 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 God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord." Then He says, "I thank God, whom I serve with pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as I continu- continually remember you in my prayers night and day." 
So Paul, so all, all he says here is, I thank God that, that I, I serve him. I believe what he has to say. My conscience is pure. I totally understand uh, what I'm teaching and I'm preaching. I'm not doing any of this out of any other reason. If you look at all of Paul's letters, he'll tell you. He wasn't doing anything for any other reason than because he loved the Lord and what God had done for him. And he says that I'm remembering you in my prayers night and day. So when we think about the Timothy-Paul relationship and you think about a relationship in your life, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to get that one-on-one relationship, whether they go to Unlimited Church or they go to another church, doesn't matter, but that relationship where you can help build and disciple that person, and you need to be able to pray for that person day and night. You know, it's, it, it can be hard to pray for a whole church, but it's a lot easier if we pray for one person. And we take that one person, and we have a passion and a desire in our heart for that person, and we say, hey, we're praying for you. Now, as a pastor, I like to pray for everybody in the church. And, 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 but I, I, every once in a while, you'll get a text from me and say, hey, I'm praying for you today. Because I want you to know somebody's praying for you. Somebody's encouraging you. You know, Will and I were on the phone the other day, and, and we, we talked about some things. We went through just some personal things we were wanting to talk to each other about. And at the end of it, I says, hey, let me pray for you, Will. Let me just pray for you, encourage you. You know, if we would take this approach with everybody, how, how, what, di- what, what kind of difference would be made in our life? See, we don't understand when I talk, and I said this last week, when we talk about that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and rulers in darkness, we don't understand what our prayers are really doing. And when we begin to pray for that person, we don't know exactly what's going on in their heart and their life, and we don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do in their life. I remember we had a, had a meeting years ago, me and a, a friend and my wife and his wife and a couple of the girls were really young and, and, and we were leaving. And it was the practice of the four of us that when we would leave each other at any time, they're hanging out at our house, we're hanging out at their house, we would pray. We would grab hands and we would pray. And one of us would pray for the rest of us. And we'd pray and we'd say, Whatever it was. So that night, we had had a very intense, tense discussion. It was a biblical. What I did not understand at the time, let me just tell you this, and I don't think any of y'all have heard this. What was very interesting, this was over 10 years ago, what was very interesting at the time is we had an intense discussion about starting a church. What I didn't understand was it wasn't going to be with that couple, and it wasn't going to be at that time. But it was going to be down the road. But we, we knew, I knew he was in a church that he needed to get out of and he needed to get where he was on fire for God and he was learning and he was using his abilities and she was using her abilities for the Lord. So I knew that something needed to change, but at the time what I didn't know was God was calling me to plant a church. It was just going to be 10 or plus years down the road before that happened. But that night, it was very intense. And we weren't mad at each other, but boy, it had been intense. You ever had that, that conversation with somebody? Maybe it's with your wife or somebody, and it's been intense, you know. But it was just intense, and when we left, I said, hey, we're going to pray. You know, let's just pray together. And so I said, but, you know, we're not going to hold hands because everybody was kind of sitting in the living room. And I said, I'm just going to pray. And I began to pray. And, it, again, what I say is that you don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do in a person's life. Most of the time when we prayed, we'd pray, and then we'd walk out. But I began to pray, and the Holy Spirit just came down in that room. And I ain't going to go through the whole story. But the Holy Spirit just came down in that room. And we didn't leave for another two hours. It was 2 o'clock in the morning when we finally left the house. And, and, and why? Because we had just given God an opportunity through prayer to do what he wanted to do. 
for him to meet and touch somebody's life. When we do that, just as Paul was doing, he says, I'm praying for you. When you're praying for somebody, understand that God is going to do something in their life. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, a righteous person, avails much. It's very effective. God can move if we allow him. See, the thing is, what we don't understand is in in somebody's life, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm trying to teach this person. They're not learning. Well, are you giving God an opportunity to teach that person? Are you giving God an opportunity to soften up that person's heart? So Paul says, I'm praying for you. Pray for that person. What do you be praying for that person? Greatly desiring, he says, I'm greatly desiring to see you, remembering your tears that I may be filled with joy. And, and I think this is so, this, this really touches me when I read this passage. Remembering your tears. See, when, when, when Paul left, evidently Timothy was so close, right? That he was hurt, that he was saddened that Paul left. And the reason it really affects me is I had a youth pastor growing up and his name was Paul. This guy was a, he still is, he's a pastor now, but he was an upstanding man. He was upstanding man. He was amazing. As a matter of fact, the reason I play the guitar today is because of Brother Paul. Because on one Sunday morning, he says, here's a guitar you're going to play this morning. You said you want to play? You're going to play. And I was like, I don't know how to play the guitar. He says, you'll do it. Yes, fine. I'll play the bass this morning. <laughs> you got to understand, church was a lot different back then, you know. And, and he says, here, here, you know. And so, so I learned to play the guitar from that, and, and, which moved on into music ministry and those things for 20 years, you know. But this man, just so important. But I can still remember the day that he stood up at the platform, and he said, we're leaving the church. We're moving, we're moving to Oklahoma. I still remember that day, and I remember the tears that, 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 that I cried. And I was 13 years old, and... and and I just, I remember holding him, and I was like, you know, whatever God's called you to do, I'm behind you. And I think Timothy had to be the same way and feel the same way. He's like, Paul, whatever you got to do, I'm behind you. I don't want to see you go, but I'm behind you. I really care about you that much. And I think that Paul, he would remember those tears. And he was filled with joy knowing that no matter who leaves him and who forsakes him, the Timothy back there cares about me. There's a Timothy. Do they care about you? Have you taken the time out for that person? Remembering the genuine faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded lives in you also. He just encouraging. Sometimes it's great to say, man, I see God in you. I remember what God has done in your life. I remember the day that you come to the altar and you prayed and asked Jesus into your life. I remember the day that you called me up and you said, hey, what does the word say here? What does this mean? I remember those things. I remember how you're fighting for the faith and that you're living for the Lord. Therefore, I remind you, and this is where I really want to get into this morning. The first part is just free, all right? Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you by the laying on of hands. So when, when Paul and Timothy were together, Paul had prayed over Timothy evidently and had laid hands on Timothy and he had received a gift. And I don't know, we, we don't know what all the gifts are. You know, the Bible has many gifts that the Lord has given us, but that the Holy Spirit has given us. But he says, I remind you, stir that gift up. So I want to tell you this morning, when it comes to the gifts and when it, when it comes to something that God has done in your life and he has put in your life, You can't sit it in the refrigerator and just let it sit there. 
All right? You can't put it on the counter and expect it to, to do what it needs to do. You got to stir up what God has done. You need to awaken what God has done in your life. I see people all the time in churches. You know, to this day, it, it dumbfounds me. I know people who are sitting in churches, sitting in the seats, sitting in the pews, not doing anything for God. And they've got all kinds of abilities. They have all kinds of opportunity at that. But they say, you know what? This is, if somebody calls me, I'll do it. If the pastor calls on me, I'll do it. Paul says, stir up those gifts. Stir them up. Let, how can God use you if you're not, if you how, listen, they rode over here on their bikes yesterday, right? Well, how are those bikes going to go if they're not pedaling them? See, God is a God. He doesn't make us do anything. He allows us to pedal the bike. He allows us to stir those gifts up and to, to be used by him then because he says, hey, I see that you're worthy. I see that you're accountable. I see that you want to do some things, so therefore I'm going to use you. But we have people that are sitting. I, I got a, a phone call, you know, before we started the church a long time ago, and a guy says, hey, you need a, you need a drummer. And at the time I was like, well, yeah, we don't, we don't have a drummer. Chloe didn't play the drums. She wasn't even talking about it. Do we need a drummer? Yeah, yeah, we need a drummer. Well, uh, so I said to myself, I said, I'm going to ask him a question. Is he stirring up the gifts, or has he expected somebody to give him something for what he's doing? See, the gifts that God gives us are free, and we need to be readily available to use them for him, no matter if we, if we get anything from it or not. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning in our discipleship class. We talked about that being a leader is really being a servant, right? We talked about those things. That was a great class this morning. So I said, I said to him, I was like, oh, okay, is he going to stir up his gifts? Is that what he's trying to do, or is he trying to make some money? I said, uh, well, yeah, we need somebody. I says, are you expecting to get paid? And he says, well, of course. I was like, well, I'm sorry, man. You know, we're a small church. We're a startup church. Just we, at the time, we hadn't even started the church yet. I says, we don't have any funds to pay people. He's like, well, a servant is worthy of their hire. They, I, I, you know, that's, that's the expectation. And I sit there, and I thought, you know, this guy sitting on the seat somewhere because he's waiting to get paid. It's just stirring his gifts up and letting, saying, hey, God, you take care of the rest of it, but you gave me this gift, and so I'm going to use it no matter what. That's what that's, that is my, my, my thought. You know, we have to stir up those gifts, not wait for somebody to stir them up for us, not wait for somebody to entice us to do it. So he says, I remind you, stir up the gifts which are in you by the laying on of hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power and love and self-control. We quote this scripture a lot, but I want us to put it in the context of what he just talked about. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been scared or are scared today to do something for God? Oh, I don't know. I may make a mistake. I may trip up. I may fail. Oh, I can't do that. I'm going to pick on Will because he's a good friend of mine now. When I said to Will, I said, Will, I want you to teach a class on Sunday morning. I'd like to start a discipleship class for our adults. I'd like you to do it. I think, uh, you know, you could hear his knees knocking because he was like, what? I knew he'd be good. And, and he took it on. Don't, don't get me wrong. He took it on. He's like, well, I don't know I'm going to do it, but I'll do it if that's what you think. You know, I said, man, you can do it. See, so many times, though, people go, oh, 
I don't know if I can do that. Uh, you know, I'm just not smart enough, and, you know, I stutter. Hey, you remember a guy named Moses, right? He, he, he stuttered. He had issues. And we do that, right? And we, we go, I don't know if I can do that or not. And the pastor or maybe another leader in the church or God's just speaking to your heart saying, I want you to do this. You know, some people are like Connie. They can go out and they can talk to anybody. They just walk up to them. They chase them down in the park. Hey, I want to tell you something. And then other people are like me, and we're like, eh, if they want to come talk to me, I'll talk to them, you know? That's why I like to hang out with Connie when we go on prayer walks, because she gets a conversation started. I'm more than happy to come in with the power, you know what I'm saying, from the behind. <laughs> now, nah, let's bring the muscle in. That's right. But we, we don't need to be uh, scared. That's what he says. He says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So when it comes to the gifts of God, don't have a spirit of fear. When he comes, he says, he says, I've given you a spirit of power and love and of self-control. That's the spirit he's given you, not a fear. So power. That means that when the gift of God is in you, you have power. What does Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says? You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come on you to be witnesses. So he says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but instead I've given you a spirit of power so that you can minister to people, so that you can show people the way, so that you can tell people about Jesus, so that you can tell them what, what they need to do, what's going on, what's wrong, what's right. I've given you a spirit of power. When you need to pray for someone like Christy was talking about this morning, when, when you're going through something rough, he's given, not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power because the gift of God resides inside of you. And you can stand on that gift and you can do what God has called you to do. He says, and of love. And I think this is really interesting because Paul is a love guy. All right? Paul is a power guy. He is a gifts guy because he talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He spends a bunch of time talking about the gifts. But he's a love guy too. He's always saying, hey, so yeah, I get, God gave you power, but he gave you love. You, did you know that your love for somebody can be one of the most powerful things that, that can happen in their lives? I think it was, Tina this morning was talking about that in the class this morning. Just loving somebody, not having fear, but loving somebody even when they've done you wrong. Even when they've done you wrong. Loving that person can change their world. Why? Because Jesus says, you will, they will know that you're the, my disciples by the way that you love one another. Not by the way that we love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? That's great. But do you love the person sitting next to you in church? Or how about the person sitting at you, next to you at your cubicle at work? How about the person uh, that just cuts you off going down the street? Do you love that person? I didn't say you had to like them. Okay, I don't like the way some of these people drive when I'm out working during the week, driving my truck. But you want to know something? I love them. I love them. Love means that we're willing to lay down. The, the, the greatest love is this, that one would lay down his life for his friend, right? And Jesus laid down his life for us. He's given us that ability to love people when, no, when nobody else can love them. We've heard the story of Corey Tin Boom, of 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 the man who, who she, she met one, uh, one day after she was telling her story, telling her story and preaching at these places, and one of the guards came up. She, she was in, in one of those concentration camps, and one of those guards came up, and she saw the guard and says, I remember this guy. He was one of those guards. 
I saw him, I saw what he did to people, and he came up. And it was at that point that she had to really put the spirit of fear behind her and put her hand out and say, yes, I forgive you. And it was hard because he didn't know who she was, but, he, but she knew who he was. But God has given us power. He's given us a spirit of love and of self-control. And I just think this is, this is good stuff. He's given us self-control, meaning when we need to do something, we can have the control to do it. Sometimes, sometimes you know, one of the things I, I try to teach Chloe when she first started playing drums is I would say, listen, you can play fast. And you can play hard, you can do all this, but if you want to sound right, you have to have self-control. You get excited, and you get off. You get going where you're not supposed to be going. The Corinthians were doing that, right? The Corinthians, they had a lot of, a lot of great things going on in their church, but they didn't have any control. And when God uses you, and he, he begins to use your gift, and he begin, you begin to stir that gift up, he says, I will give you control. I will give you the understanding and the wisdom to know how to use that gift so it's the most effective so you can reach the most people and do the greatest, the greatest work that I've called you to do. So he's given us a spirit, not of fear, but power, love, and self-control. And so he says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That is getting more and more difficult in this world today, especially in the United States of America. In other countries, it's the same way. You know, I see people getting baptized. I hear about this person get baptized. This person got baptized, and I don't see no change. I'm like, hey, take them over to Vietnam and baptize them, and let's see if they don't change. Because in Vietnam, they baptize you in a 55-gallon tub, uh, 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 barrel. They baptize you in a 55-gallon barrel, and you don't go telling a bunch of people because you don't want to get killed by the communists, okay? There's places it's against the law to be a Christian. And when you get baptized, it says, hey, I now serve Jesus. I have changed. I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody else comes to the Father but by him. It's sad to me that in the United States of America now, we baptize people and they continue to live the way they did. Nothing ever changes. And I see pastors. I I was on on a Facebook thing the other day, and pastors were having this discussion. Would you baptize this person? I'm not going to go into the sins and everything. That's not the, the point is the person was still living in sin. Would you baptize this person? And I could not believe how many pastors were on there going, well, you know, you baptize them and eventually they'll get right with God. They'll, they'll start living right. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What happened to that he didn't give us a spirit of fear but a power? Power means we can change immediately, instantly like that. And there's too many stories, and I'm sure every one of you could raise your hand and tell me a story of somebody that you know that that has happened. It's not that we're not going to struggle. There's a difference. There's a difference. The Bible says that we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to have to work it out. The the devil is real, folks. Sin is out there. Temptation is out there. But we're not going to be tempted beyond what we can bear. That's what the Scripture says. are, Are we going to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or are we going to live it out, even if it's not cool? Young people in here, when I say young people, is anybody under 40 is young for me because, you know, you're younger than I am. Young people in here, that's the question that you have to ask yourself when you're around other people. Are you going to live out the testimony that the Lord has given you? And when that person is talking a certain way or saying a certain thing, are you going to be like laughing about it? And, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. You know, when that person is talking about going and doing things that are, that are ungodly and unscriptural, are you going to say something about it? Or are you going to say, hey, you know, maybe we could do this instead? 
Because see, it's easy to follow along. It's easy to go along. And you don't have to be young. You can be old and follow along. But which, which one's it going to be? Are you going to say, no, I'm going to live out the testimony? Well, I know that means that I might not have as many friends. But the thing that I do know is I have a friend, and he is God. He is Jesus. That's what it says. The word says that we're a friend of God. I have that friend that sticks closer to the, than, than a brother. So even if I lose this friendship, as long as I do it in love and as long as I speak it in love, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fine because I'm going to live out this testimony. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. He said, uh, live out this testimony of our Lord nor me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God. Do you understand that when you live for Jesus, everything isn't hunky-dory? Anybody had a flat tire lately? Anybody had to go to the take your car in for, a, for, for an oil change, and they're like, you know what? You got some more issues down here. <laughs> you need brakes, and that's going to cost you $400. You're like, I don't know. I didn't have $400. Maybe you had some sickness and, and going through some medical issues like Christy talked about this morning. I, I'm, when we come to Jesus, it doesn't mean everything's going to be great, and it doesn't mean that everybody's going to love you. The Bible says they will hate you because you love me. American Christianity says, oh, they'll love you as long as you love them. They're going to love you. No, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus has called us to a different lifestyle. He's called us to a different way. And when we begin to follow him, why do you think there's a war on Christmas, on the, name, on, on the literally the word Christmas? What, what, what does that matter? I thought Santa Claus was pretty cool, if you ask me. I thought he was a good guy. But now we want to take Christmas out of it. Why? Why? Because Christ is in the word. There's a war on Christ. It's not a war on Christmas. It's a war on the belief and the understanding that Christ has changed. The devil doesn't want anything. One day he's going to bow his knee. That's what the scripture says, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, including the demons and the devil himself. If we are ashamed of the testimony here, if we're ashamed of speaking it here, because of what we're going to go through, just like what Paul was going through, suffering the gospel because of the power of God. If we're going to be ashamed, then people aren't going to hear about it, and there is a literal place called hell. There's a place of torment that they're going to go to. It's our responsibility. Jesus, yes, Jesus could appear in the clouds, and he could go, hey, I'm Jesus. Come follow me. And you know what? Some would, but most wouldn't. Why? Because we're not robots. We don't follow Jesus because we're afraid. We follow Jesus because of love. What did I just say a minute ago? He hadn't given us a spirit of fear, but a, a love. He given us. We follow him because we love him, because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. He said, Be, uh, but share in the sufferings of the gospel, the power of God who has saved us, called us with his holy calling, not by our works, but by his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So you have been called, you have a holy calling on you, and it's not by works. As as I've said before, I'll tell you now, if you haven't heard before, you don't get to heaven by your works. You'll be known, people will see you, right? People know if you're a drunk, right? If you're out drinking all the time and you're drunk. Same way with Jesus. If you're living for the Lord and you're walking out your faith with the Lord, they'll say, oh, ooh, that guy right there is a Christian. That gal right there is a Christian. Why? Because they're walking their faith out with the Lord. I can see it. I can see it all over them. Something's different. You know, 
I've told this story before. It's probably been a while, but I walked into work one day years ago when I was in the financial business, and I walked into work, and my uh, employees were like, they looked at me like, you okay? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you don't have a smile on your face. And it just kind of clicked in my head. It's like, oh, a smile on my face. And I didn't realize. Every day when I come into work, I greet people. Hey, how's it going? How you doing? Smile on my face. Like Sandy does over here. When you come in on Sunday morning, you got a beautiful face greeting you when you walk through the door, right? That's right. And a smile on my face. But I didn't realize what it was doing to people, what they were seeing in me. Well, the smile on my face is because Jesus saved me. Man, I just, I just love it. I just, man, I'm just glad to be alive. I'm glad to be a Christian. But I had some things on my mind, and I came in that day, and it's, it, I just didn't have the smile on my face. That's what happens. People see you, and they go, wait, what's, what's up with this person? What are they really all about? What's going on in their life? Why can they be happy right now? It's raining outside, and they got soaking wet when they walk through the door. Ever done that? Feet are soaking wet, and you're like, oh, great the rest of the day. I'm going to have to walk in wet shoes. I cannot stand wet shoes. So he said, not by our works, but by his own purpose and grace. This is what is so great. This is what I want us to get. When he says, stir up these gifts, he's not giving us a spirit of fear. He says, not by our but his own purpose and grace in your life. He's done this. He's prepared you. He wants you to do this. It was given to us by Christ Jesus before the world began. Isn't that awesome? Before you were born, he was already making a way for you. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. God will make a way. He's already got it. He's already working in it this morning. Praise God. Man, I could just keep on going, but man, time's running short already. Praise God. So this morning, this morning, as, as we're going into this week, what I want us to be asking ourselves is, are we stirring up those gifts in us? Are we allowing God to move in our life the way he wants to? Are we, are we living in a spirit of fear? Are we concerned about what somebody's going to say? Are we concerned that somebody's going to think something about us because we didn't do it exactly right? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. If you had to be perfect to, to be a Christian, then I wouldn't be up here. You don't have to be perfect. What you have to be is tuned into God and say, okay, God's given me these gifts. He perfects the gifts, not me. And I'm going to stir them up, and I'm going to see what God's going to do with it because I want to be a witness for Christ. I want people to know God so that they'll have no limits just like me, so that the chains will come off of them. You know, there's a ministry that I love. It's called Teen Challenge. And I was disappointed to hear Teen Challenge was started by David Wilkerson, a great minister of the gospel who passed away a few years ago. And uh, when he started it, Teen Challenge, the way you go through Teen Challenge, it's for people who are, or most of them are either drug addicts, uh, you know, alcoholics, those kind of things, or they're going to jail, prison for a long time, and this is an option that they may have. And when they go to it, they're in the program for almost two years, and during that time, they have to memorize 200 different scripture verses, and there's a lot of other things that they've got to do. The reason that Teen Challenge has such a low recidivism rate where people, you know, are leaving and, you know, I mean, they have like 80% may stay. 
where the, I think the national average for, for drug rehabilitation is like 20% or 15%, something really, 7%. I knew it was low, 7%. Well, I just found out that there are some of the teen challenges now that are not doing anything with Christ, not using scriptures or anything like that. They're taking government funding and all that kind of stuff. And, and this pastor was talking about it. It was, uh, it was Wilkerson's brother, who still is part of uh, a lot of the teen challenges, and he was, he was really concerned. He says, you know, I, I'm sitting here this morning. It was a couple days ago. He said, I'm sitting here this morning with all these men in an altar crying out to God and knowing that their lives are being changed, and I'm so disappointed and I'm so sad and so burdened that there are teen challenges out there that don't even speak the name of Jesus in them anymore. The only reason that there is a, such a, a success rate is because Jesus changes lives. That's it. And we need to get this, that Jesus changes lives, and you're just as important as I am of getting the word out. That when the Spirit of God comes on you, it is not a spirit of fear. You can get the word out, and you can tell people about Jesus, and you can pray with him. You don't have to be Connie. God's, the power of God's on you just like it is on Connie. If you'll allow it to be, he will use you if you're willing to be used. If you're willing to not allow the spirit of fear to come inside of you, but say, no, God has given me a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. I'm going to be effective because I'm praying, because I know that I'm working out my righteousness Um, but with Jesus, man, he has covered me up. His blood has covered me. It has just cleansed me from from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I'm no longer black with sin, but I'm white as snow. And since I'm white and since I'm a child of God, now I've got power. Now I can go out and I can tell other people because I want people to have the same thing I've got. I love what Will said yesterday. We were talking about uh, the discipleship group. He says, you know, the reason I like doing it is because I get to talk about Jesus. That's the approach that we should have. That's the excitement we should have. What? I get to talk about Jesus. I, I tell you, I, when I was working the financial thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish up, uh, the, the computers went down one day, and these two ladies, two of my employees, came into my office, and they sat down, and we ended up having a Bible study. Why? Because that's what I'm excited about. So we're just talking, you know, and they're saying something. I says, well, you know, uh, why do you do that? Why do you think this way? Da-da-da-da. All of a sudden, we get back and forth. You know, there's my Bible. Well, you know, the Scripture says this right here. Sitting there for an hour and a half, the computers are down. They had nothing to do, so we just had a Bible study. And they walk out, and they're just like going, what just happened? When we're excited and we don't let fear take over, who knows what God's going to do? I'll give you the last story. I worked for O'Reilly's when I was going to college. And there was this one guy, his name was Taylor, and the guy was a habitual liar. He would lie about anything. Lie about anything. Made no sense. People would catch him because he lied to every customer and came in the store because, you know, I got this something, something. I got this, you know, 64 Ford, chop top, da, da, da. You know, it's just silliness. And I was working with him and, and I would say little things, and I've probably told y'all this before, but I've got to say it again. Because I want y'all to understand the spirit of fear. If you let that go, if you say, no, I'm not going to have it. So one day, uh, he, he, was, he was in there. I says, Taylor, there's only one thing different between you and I. 
He says, what's that? I says, I'm going to heaven and you're not. He goes, what? So the manager comes in who was a year younger than me, and he's like, Justin, you know what Adam just told me? He said, I was going to hell. I said, no, I didn't. And he goes, yes, you did. I said, no, I didn't. He says, well, you said I wasn't going to heaven? I said, that's true. Then I'm going to hell. I says, well, why, why would you be going to hell? Well, if you don't go to heaven, you're going to hell. I says, you said it, not me. But I said, Taylor, the scripture says the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And you have to have a changed life through Jesus. And then I walked off and kept on doing my work. Taylor's in church today. Years later, he's in church. Why? Not just because of me. The Bible says that one plants the seed, one waters the seed, and God gives the increase. It's because I planted or watered. I don't know which one I was, but I was stirring up the gifts that God had me at that point and at that time right there. No, I wasn't singing a song. I wasn't preaching a message, but I was stirring up the gifts that he'd given me right there. And one of the easiest gifts is to show people Jesus. We need to change this world for Christ. We need to change this world for Christ.